that's the most fantastic story I've ever heard. How can you make up a thing like that? What do you know about it? TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. TGIFND. Glad to have you along with us. Glad to be, once again, working with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? Doing awesome. It's time. Bring it on. Super Bowl. Who do you got? You mean the big game. Oh, wow. You? There's that, too. I'm only in it for the you know halftime show. You know, Usher's uh, okay. gonna be there. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Like okay. <laughs> Football. Well, it's gonna be anticlimactic because apparently, from what I've heard through the pipeline, my unimpeachable sources say that uh, Taylor Swift has the whole thing rigged. And so, <laughs> San Francisco, thanks for showing up after the game. They will say, and the 49ers also right. participated. All right. Apparently, that's the way it's gonna be. I think I so know. too. I agree but with you 100. percent <laughs> I'm going to watch the game anyway. I have sure. to say, I would have, I would have preferred the Ravens and some other team, but we'll yes, uh, well, that's right. I was born in Baltimore. I'm a Ravens fan, and uh, to Ravens they fans everywhere, I close. commiserate with you. That yeah. was a pretty miserable outing for them in the AFC Championship game. Ah, uh, well, as they say, there's always next year. Yep. Today, we are going to have a very good time. Before we get to our honored guest of the hour, Charlie Serafin, who has written a unique book, this one is going to be really a treat to discuss. I do want to point out that it was 60 years ago today, tonight actually, when the Beatles spread Beatlemania across America with their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. There are those of us who are old enough to remember and Sudan, Even though we were tiny tots. I mean, throw that in there. That's right. We were tiny tots. <laughs> and Suzanne, I envy you and all those 73 million viewers who tuned in to watch the Beatles perform. Oh, wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't miss it. Well, I did miss it. Yeah. I grew up seven miles from Disneyland. I watched the Disney show, The Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, starring mm -hmm. Patrick McGowan. And I thought that was great because in my mind, in my family, that didn't disagree. We turned on Disney. I missed it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. In the ensuing days before the following Sunday and their second appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, this time live from Miami Beach, it was absolutely astounding there how Beatlemania swept the country. I bought the available 45. In one week. In one week, I bought up souvenirs. And before that Miami Beach appearance, uh, I, I was all in. Yep. I was all in. Yep. And you were the, a little Beatle maniac. The years 1964, 1965, 1966 were electrifying. Mm -hmm. And people ask who weren't there, who weren't alive at the time. Well, what was it about them? What, what was the big deal? And to this day, I go, I don't really know. But whatever the it factor was, the sound, their look, their energy, their swagger, their sense of humor, their irreverence, whatever it was about them, the world wanted to see, to hear, and to know all about the Beatles, particularly, I mean, and have ever since for 60 years, as a matter of fact. 
But in those first three years, something extraordinary happened around the world, and I've never seen the like of it since. For baby boomers, for baby boomers, that was it. That was the pinnacle. I have a feeling in 2024, uh, our time woman of the year, person of the year, and all the Swifties feel the same way about Taylor Swift that we felt like about the Beatles. Yes, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so here we are 60 years later, and we're talking about what it is that constitutes the story of your life. That's the title of a book by our guest of this hour, Charlie Serafin, The Story of Your Life, Write Your Own Obituary. Occasionally I've heard of people doing this in a class yes. where they would do that, yes. you know? And um, I have a feeling that, you know, there, there might be uh, some justified self-complimenting going on there, you know, where they were born, where they lived, mm -hmm. their proudest achievements, their mm -hmm. children, etc. Mm -hmm. But are you really telling the true story of who you were? Mm -hmm. Charlie Serafin is an author, keynote speaker, award-winning broadcaster, and marketing professional. Recognized by the Associated Press, Radio TV News Directors Association, National Association of Broadcasters, and the National Headliners Club. Charlie covered thousands of stories and interviewed countless newsmakers as a journalist. He successfully managed news departments, major market radio stations, and professional sports organizations. All of that, one guy. He inspires audiences from coast to coast with his wit, humor, and common sense. His focus on decisions and how to incorporate personal values into everyday life are presented in a gentle yet powerful voice. And we are going to hear that gentle yet powerful voice right now. Charlie Serafin, welcome to Manson Mitchell once again. It's so good to be back. Good to be with you. I have read all three of your books, Charlie. The first one was One Stupid Mistake, Smart Decision-Making in a Crazy World. And we had you on our show a couple times, two or three times to talk about that book. And then you wrote, When Did You Stop Being You in Search of Your Personal Brand? I read that book as well. And this time you're on your book number three, The Story of Your Life, Write Your Own Obituary. And I thought, well, these are three very, very different topics. And my first question, easy peasy, why in the world are you writing a, a book about obituaries? Well, actually, the all three books have the same underlying theme as self-reflection. It's a... Uh, I think it's important for people, particularly in our fast-paced world with all the technology that we have and the speed at which we accomplish everything or nothing, whichever your perspective is on any given day. But we're going so fast, we don't take time to stop down and reflect. And when we stop to reflect and think, it good things happen. And my premise for this book is that when you read an obituary, and those of us that are kind of getting up in age, I guess young people probably don't, but older people do. We look at obituaries and we see them, we read about the person. We see these uh, little factoids, where they were born, who survived them, uh, where they worked, uh, maybe what their hobby was, uh, uh, when they died and when their funeral service will be. But it really, you can read a, a, you can read 100 obituaries and not know anything about any of the people mentioned in the obituaries. So I had a, a, 
a, a, I don't know, what do you call it, a, a God thing or an inspirational moment. But I had a friend send me an obituary written by his father-in-law, and I read it. He emailed it to me and said, you know, my father-in-law just passed, and here's his obituary. And I was so, uh, so taken with it and so moved by it, and I thought, I wish I had met this person. This is an incredible person What a great sense of humor he had. He was uh, very self-effacing in his approach to uh, writing about his life. It, there were some poignant stories about his love for his wife and his children. And it was just powerful. It was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, is I found out that he wrote it 10 years before he died. And he just had this good idea. He wasn't in the throes of death. He wasn't, you know, diagnosed with some terminal disease. He just said, this is, a, I'm, I want to tell my story. And he did it in such a beautiful way. And then the second part to the equation is I took a trip to my hometown um, a couple of years ago. I went to the library. My dad died when I was 12. And I don't really, re I remember my dad, but I don't remember any of the circumstances of his death. So I looked up his obituary and I read it and it said absolutely nothing about him. It just had those little factoids, when he was born, when he died, who he survived by, where he worked, et cetera. And I thought my dad was really a colorful person and all of that color is lost on future generations other than those of us who remember for maybe a generation, sometimes two, but never even three generations. We don't know anything about our great grandparents. Uh, you know, we, we know things we've read about them, but not in their own words, what they believed and why they believed it. So anyway, I started on the progress, did a lot of research on uh, all the things that are wrong with obituaries and tried to come up with a number of questions that I could ask that would make people think about things in their life like 60 years ago and watching the Beatles on television. Now, this is one of those things. For some people, it was a life-changing moment. And as Gary just said a minute ago, he's not even really sure why. But it, but he, he uh, became involved in that process of going out to get the records and learning everything he could about them and listening to them on the radio. And it was just overwhelming for a period of time and those are the kind of little factoids that people 50 or 100 or 250 years from now would love to learn about. And they would love to, they can read about the Beatles, but they can't read about what Gary thought about the Beatles or why he felt the way he did. That's beautifully said. It really is. Some things are just a mystery. Some things can't be known. And when the moment is right, and the synergy of, in this case, four lads from Liverpool, England, come together, <laughs> something extraordinary happens that sweeps the world. I mean, it, I look at it even today, 60 years later, and I can't explain exactly what it was or why it happened then, but God must have wanted to create something that would, one of my pet theories, okay, I'll, I'll just put it out there. I think that the spirit of the universe, however we term God or the ultimate intelligence, wanted to bring the world back because their first appearance on Ed Sullivan was February 9, 1964. John F. Kennedy, president of the United States, most powerful man in the world, was assassinated on November 22, 1963. That's not a lot of time between those seminal events, as different as they were in kind as you could imagine, there 
And yet in that short span of time, it felt like the world was lifted up into this place of ecstasy. And I just think the world needed that boost. And the Beatles showed up, they were the ones able to provide it. And of course, they launched the British invasion of popular music and the world changed. The Beatles in various ways changed the world. What do we do that could show up in an obituary, which we might write years before our actual passing, subject to revision if we write it early enough and we die 10 years later, there might have to be some, some uh, redactions and additions. But what is it that we can bring to the world that will put our mark on it? Or what is it about ourselves that is so self-effacing that we don't want to leave a footprint? We are still who are, we still are who we are, and we would like that genuineness to come through in the memories of the people who held us near and dear. That takes some craftsmanship, Charlie. It takes the ability to be honest about oneself to oneself in telling the world about oneself. A lot of times when people, and I'm sure that uh, our listeners today and, and maybe even for both of you, they've said, they've, I've had hundreds of people tell me, I'd like to write a book or I've got a book to write or I think I should write a book and they sit down and it just is, it just, it's too much. They, they start and they may write a page or two and then they, they just get lost in it. And it's just too much work. It's, it's too hard to, to bring, to try to, the story is so big. I, I can't, uh, there's no way I could ever do it. And they give up. What I've tried to do in this book is to say, here are some, just read through and follow the outline. And here are some questions. I'm going to give you different subject matters of life from family to quirks and foibles. So everywhere in between and try to remember things that influenced you. And what I, what I've told uh, audiences for a long time is every person, people say, well, my life's not that special. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a regular person and blah, blah, blah. I said, no, that's not true. You have experienced something and I don't know what it is, but you have experienced something individually. Suzanne, Gary, Charlie, and everyone listening has an experience that they are the only ones that experienced it, that ever saw it. They saw something or they heard something or they participated in something that no other person has that perspective ever in the history of the world from the beginning until the end of time. So there is a uniqueness about every human being and it's that uniqueness, that one special little kernel and it's not easy to get to it. You have to take a little bit of time and really think about what is it that, uh, that is absolutely unique to me. But if you can find that through a series of questions and remembering stories about things that you did and where you were and what was happening and the people who came into your life and the people who influenced you in a good way and the people who influenced you in a bad way and all those things, if you can spend some time reflecting and get to that one little kernel nugget it will say so much about who you are. And it doesn't matter how many people write obituaries, no two will be alike because you are, you're special and you're, and you're different. And, and that specialness needs, we don't, we don't consider it often enough in the course of our daily lives. We just go along. We're just part of the herd. We, we think our, you know, we don't count. Our opinions don't count. Our vote doesn't count, whatever it is. And that's not true we have a uniqueness that is 
that is comes from the creator, as you said, whatever you want to call that that great power. But that uniqueness is worth saving. And if you don't save it, if you don't tell the story, then it will be lost forever because no one how no one will know it except you. And that's you know it's that's selfish, I think, and and just a waste of of uh, a great life. And everybody has a great life, even the ones who have a lot of bad experiences. You know, bad things happen to good people. But it doesn't mean that your life is meaningless. There's a lot of meaning in it. Many decades ago, there was one of those pithy sayings from the Reader's Digest that I never forgot. Very simply, it just said, be yourself. No one is better qualified. And it has always stuck with me. Because nobody can really tell your story better than you can tell your story because there are things that nobody knows. And, you know, what is it that you would like to have people know after you're gone? When When you were talking about all of the questions that are written in the story of your life, I repeatedly said to Gary something that you just mentioned. I said, this is not about writing an obituary. Obituaries are very short, but this book is the absolute perfect book for writing your own biography. I myself took two pages. The book is not a big book. It's barely over 100 pages long. But every time I came to a series of questions, I took out my pen and paper and it I was reminded of something, and then I was reminded of something else. And so each of the sections that you have in the book, each chapter which addresses a particular aspect of your life, resulted in many, many, many memories, things I had long ago forgotten, but came up in reading your book. And when I got finished with it, I said, well... I've got two-page outline here for my autobiography because it is it is that um, motivating, that inspirational to remember things and and get them to paper, and and you bring it up in a lot of, of different ways, including you know a reflection of your values. You you say that um, you know some people have an effect on us and they don't even know it. And, and I thought, yes, there have been people in my life who said something or did something and they have no idea. And if they're gone, could have been strangers, could have been friends who have passed, could have been family members who are no longer here. They will never know the influence that they had on me. And yet those were important events in my life. Wow, that's beautifully said. You know, that's that you're the you're the poster child for it. And even if you don't write your autobiography, and even if you don't write your obituary, it's the exercise of remembering that I believe has tremendous benefit for every person, because when you go back and you you start connecting the dots, and and, and I learned this through <laughs> a lot of practice, but. As soon as you remember that one incident or that one story or that one person, just like you said, your your mind spider webs off to another topic. It could be a completely different era. It has, may have nothing to do with it whatsoever. But our 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 brains work that way, and then we find we find something that is connected 
in our mind, but not maybe logical or linear. And so we go to, and we explore that idea a little bit. And then that one takes us to another one. And the more that we can spend time remembering, reflecting, thinking about, um, you know, one of the things, and this is in the, the world today is divided, right? The, we're, we're so divided about so many things and the people within families and friends don't speak to one another because I believe this and, and you believe that and therefore we can't have a compromise and we're not going to talk about it. But if you, if you think about it, when you have those really firm beliefs, you know, I'm just absolutely sure of this, that, or the other thing, doesn't matter what it is. If you spend a little bit of time going back and saying, where did that come from? Where did I get that belief? When did it become so strong? When did I start feeling so powerfully about it? Because I didn't always. And you can use an example. We were using the Beatles today. There are people who didn't watch the show, <laughs> Gary. You know, they didn't watch the Ed Sullivan show to see the Beatles perform, which it seemed like everybody else did. And you kind of had to go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure. But, but, but it affected people. And it affected them in a way that may still affect them today, 60 years later. They may, they may have uh, things that came out of that, uh, however many, many minutes, and it wasn't that many minutes, maybe, you know, five minutes long of doing a couple of songs, I want to hold your hand, and, uh, you know, she loves she you. She loves you, I believe. And, yeah, okay. So, so that was a, that's a two-minute song, right? So that, but that, that had a profound impact, and it spun off a lot of other things. And so when we, when we sit here in today's moment, we're going so fast, we're not thinking about why we believe what we believe or why we feel what we feel or why we feel so strongly about it. So spend a little time to sort of analyze it. And the, the good news that can come out of that is that every once in a while we can say, you know, I don't really know why I feel that way or, and why do I feel so strongly about it? And maybe I shouldn't make it a tenet of a friendship or family or love or caring maybe I should just push that back where it belongs because it's not that important in the total scheme of things. Sometimes we have things that, you know, we're out screaming and hollering and protesting and running around about that seems so, so vitally important. But if you really break it down in the context of your entire life and all your experiences, it's not that important. That's true. That's true. I want to get into some very specific things after the break so we're kind of setting the table now before the break about more to talk about later. Um, I'll just give you a, a, a hint. Right in the very first chapter, you had me looking at my life in its totality because you, how I interpreted this, I don't know that you said it, but it's like there is a string that runs through your whole life. There's something that you can point to, and it might be a word or a phrase that describes you. And I, I, I had a phrase that I mentioned to Gary about myself. And I said, if you had 20 people in a room and somebody read that, would you know it was me? And he said, absolutely. So there are things about us that are so unique that even though we might use common phraseology, it would absolutely be who you are. And and just to look at it from the, the macro point of view, you know, going out far in space and looking at all of the years and all of the little things that happened inside that 
how would you describe that? And I thought, wow, that is that is fascinating just to look at your life from beginning to today. And and so that was one of the things that was generated from reading your book. And uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, you don't have to do your obituary, but as Charlie said, you may want to reflect on your life in a, in a very meaningful way. You got something on your mind, Gary? Well, I'm just, I'm checking this out. I'm just, uh, you got me thinking here. What did they sing on Ed Sullivan? Well, I missed the first one. So, you know, right. I'm hardly the authoritative voice here. That night, the history-making Fab Four, now I wouldn't have believed this. And 60 years later, I'm reading this. That night, the history-making Fab Four performed five songs. Five, five songs. Wow. Do you remember five songs? Do you remember five songs? No, no, no. All My Loving. That was, uh, till, okay. Okay, so All My Loving, Till There Was You, She Loves You, I Saw Her Standing There, and I Want to Hold Your Hand. Wow. <laughs> I did not know that they played that many tunes. That's because you missed that one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I remember hearing about yeah. I Want to Hold Your Hand and She Loves You. I didn't know about the others. I thought that they were played on other appearances, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, maybe the next week. I don't recall what the playlist was for their second appearance the following week. But time, memory. You know what? There's a point to be made here, Charlie. See what I just read you? I didn't know. It's 60 years later, and I didn't know they played five songs on their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. This is why we want to write things down, because posterity matters. History matters. And internalizing what others have meant to us matters. And when you put it in an obituary, it doesn't have to be bare bones about your bare bones. What it can be is the story of your life shared. Charlie Serapin is our honored guest of the hour. His book is The Story of Your Life. Write your own obituary. We have more questions. I'm sure he will have more answers on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell. Stick with us. Glad you joined us today. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. 
She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Charlie Serafin, author of The Story of Your Life, to inspire you to reflect on your entire life in the most meaningful way. On Saturday, Catherine Alice makes her annual Valentine's visit to talk about how love can find you no matter what your circumstances or how many times you have given up on romance. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Charlie Serafin. He has uh, written the story of your life, write your own obituary, which is what we're talking about today. He has a couple of other books. Charlie, if people want to find out about the books you've written or want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to charlieseraphin.com, they can go to onestupidmistake.com, or they can go on Amazon and check the author page, or Barnes & Noble, and uh, books are available there as well, and I think some other outlets, but it's funny because you, when you, before we went into the break, you said we, we can talk about some of the marketing things and you know tell people. Honestly, if I believe that if you're moved to read one of my books and you happen to find one, and they're 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 not commercially successful, uh, I I've uh, had a marketing company work with me for a little bit, and they gave away some uh, books on Kindle. They give away uh, uh, 50 books or something on Kindle or 100 books. I'm not sure how many. And, um, you know, and then for one for two days, I became the uh, Amazon bestseller for giveaway free books in the uh, inspirational category. And I thought, oh, isn't that special? <laughs> and what did it result in? It, I think it resulted in $62 of total income or something like that. So it's um, my motivation is so different, I think, than most authors. And I've been to book shows now and, and been on a lot of author websites and had a lot of exchanges with people who write books. Most people write books and they think, I'm going to make a million, you you know, I'm just, this is really a great story. This is a great book and I'm going to get it out there and everybody's going to buy it and I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to become famous and rich or whatever. And I honestly have never had that thought. I never, from the first one, I just started writing and it morphed into a book and I had some people help me turn it into a book. And then the second one I kind of did on my own. Um, and that was really a struggle and dealing with all the Amazon algorithms and all the stuff that you have to do to try to get it out there. And then this one, I, I, I hired some people and said, just do all the stuff that I don't like doing because I like writing the books and having the ideas. But I think that if you can affect one life, if one of your chapters can affect someone's life in a positive way, and I've had so much feedback from People have written me letters and written me emails and, you know, uh, said (laughs) the story that I like to tell the the most often is a woman wrote to me and she said, thank you so much for your book. Um, I've made some significant changes in my life. I dropped my deadbeat boyfriend. I'm selling my house. I quit my job. I'm going back to nursing school and I reconciled with my adult children. Thank you so much, you know, for your book. And (laughs) I just laughed because... 
I didn't write anything about any of those subjects. There was nothing right. in there. But something that I wrote touched her mind and her heart in such a way that she said, I can do better. I can, I can improve the quality of my life. I can be a better person or whatever it is. And those, that's what I, that's why I write. That's what it's all about for me. So if you buy the book, great. If you don't buy the book, great. Um, if you, you want to get it on Kindle for five bucks, you can read it. You don't even have to buy it. You know, you can sort of rent it in your computer for as long as you want, but it's, um, it's just about, I have this feeling I have a lot of feelings inside of me about personal responsibility. And I think that that's, if, if you're going to say, what's the one problem with the world, the one problem with the world is that we're always looking at other people and finding their flaws. And instead of, you know, pulling the log out of our own eye, we're just looking for those little splinters that are in somebody else's. And, and we, we're, and we all do it. It's just, it's human nature, but it's so unproductive and it's so much more, productive to spend some time in reflection and looking at your own life and saying, how can I be better? How can I be better today? What a wonderful way to wake up in the morning and say, okay, here I am. What can I do today to make the world a better place and make myself a better person? And if you just had that simple motivation, wouldn't that, the world would be a wonderful, <laughs> it, would, it would change. It would be, it would be as dramatic as what the Beatles did. But unfortunately we don't have enough of that. And we have a lot of finger pointing it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been raining. If she hadn't said this, I wouldn't have done that. And it's just all, we just spin in circles. Your website is charlieseraphin.com. Is that right? Uh -huh. I get, okay. I want to, I want to make sure I spell seraphin in case somebody is there with a pen and paper. It's S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N, seraphin. And uh, I want to make sure people find you. And again, you know, I highly recommend this book. When you are looking at the various questions in the various places, there was one thing that really kind of hit me hard, and it was on page 48. And I'm going to read a, a couple of sentences here. It's under a heading called That Special Someone. Is your heart an open book? Probably not. We all carry around old flames and unfulfilled dreams. Your obituary is not the place to hurt people with the truth, but there may be an important aspect of your love life that needs explanation. And that really, really got to me because the way that you wrote it and what you said afterwards got me to thinking how common that was. I can remember when my grandmother came to visit in her 90s and came with my grandfather and she sat in the living room. She had dementia at that point. She sat in the living room and she was waiting for her high school boyfriend, Red, to pick her up in her 90s, he was gonna be there shortly and she was all dressed and made up and ready for her high school boyfriend to pick her up. And then I also recalled something similar that had happened with my mom. Her uh, intended boyfriend went off into the military 
and ended up marrying somebody else when everybody in the neighborhood thought that my mom was going to marry this particular gentleman and it didn't happen. And so when I was reading this and I I said to Gary, do you have a, a secret love and unfulfilled from way back? And he said, oh, yeah. And, and so as I started checking around, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's a whole lot more common than I would have ever imagined. And, and so you really prompted something in me to think about it as something that happens to everybody, not just that happened in my family where there was this longing for, you know, old high school boyfriends, um, that that was really a very common experience. And interestingly enough, you say, you know, think about it, reflect on it, look at it. You don't necessarily want to put that in your obituary. It just might hurt too many people. There was there uh, Were there other things that were like that, that, that you said it's good to reflect on it, maybe not so good to write about it? I think um, there are, you can go to any category of memory, of, uh, of remembering, and you could probably find th- those sorts of things because we, we, get, we get caught up in coulda, shoulda, woulda, and there's a lot of people who walk around living regrets Right. And they just say, oh, if I had only done this, you know, somebody uh, somebody offered me uh, stock in Yahoo, uh, you know, before anybody knew what it was and I didn't buy any. But if I had it, then I'd be a millionaire now and, and that sort of thing. And it goes to every aspect of life. If I had, you know, I had my my best baseball game at a time when there were no scouts there. And then when the scouts showed up, I didn't have a good thing. So I didn't make it to the major leagues. Otherwise I'd have been a major league player. So we have all these manufactured sort of uh, reflective memories that may or may not be valid. And I think that if you spend a little time with them, if you think like, as, a, as that particular thing goes on, you say like, oh man, you know, I really lo- loved or thought I loved this person. And then you think, well, you know, and I should have married that person and I'd be happier than I am because my spouse now isn't a particularly good spouse and blah, 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 blah. You know, here's a, here we are looking right. over at the other person again and making judgment, yeah. right? But right. Um, I, but I think if you... If you, if you take that thought and you go all the way through and you say like, oh, well, if I had married that person, then I wouldn't have the children that I have, or I wouldn't have gone to the place that I went where my career really took off, or I wouldn't have uh, met the, the, uh, the spiritual pers- director that inspired me and changed my life. And so you can, if you take a little time and you look at it, it's not, you can get beyond the regret part of it and you can get to the positive. And then you might even get to the point and say, thank God I didn't do what I thought I, I was going to do. I, I really, what I thought was a bad decision or in, 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 at first glance, turned out to be a brilliant decision. It was a really good thing that happened. Or, uh, you know, I, I, if you look at a lot of the famous people in history who went bankrupt before they accomplished great things, right? And they, they talk about those as learning experiences. It's, like it's a really good thing that Henry Ford 
you know, went bust in a, in a number of companies before he achieved what he achieved because he could never have done it if he hadn't learned those life lessons along the way. And so that's what it is. It's, it's, you can do it in your love life. You can do it in your professional life. You can do it in your, in your career, your anything, you know, relationships, the neighborhood where you live, you can second guess yourself. That's not the goal. The goal is to really think it through and say, okay, this was a possibility. I made a decision and I'm going to own that decision now or someone else made the decision for me. You know, I, I really thought I loved this boy, but he, uh, his family moved away and I never saw him again after that. And so, okay, well, what impact did that have on you? Did it make you more discerning when you met other boys? Uh, did you, you know, did you, did you look at the world a little differently? Were you heartbroken for a period of time, but in that time you discovered biology and you became a biologist? <laughs> you know, I don't know yes. what the scenarios are because they're infinite, but they're all there. And, and, and like I say, I, I, my goal is to get people to think, just start thinking about things, think about yourself and, and not so much other people and trying to figure out where they went wrong or where they, what they did right. But what you what you did and own your decisions and, uh, and spend a little time reflecting on them. You talk about pivotal moments and you ask a series of questions about pivotal moments in your life, things that we've talked about once or twice here already in this hour. And the fact that there was a choice being made there, you were, you were at a crossroads. I, I, I put forks in the road in my notes um, because you can go left or you can go right, you know, and the road not taken, that's made all the difference. Ask Robert Frost. So we and, have and Yogi Berra and, and Yogi, Yogi Berra too. Yeah. Yeah. When you get <laughs> to the you fork in the road, take it. it up. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, the fact that we have made choices and maybe in that moment, it, seemed like we didn't, that we were a victim or were at the effect of somebody else's choice. But really, during our lives, we have made choices at various crossroads that we've come to that have made all the difference. The the Exactly what you're talking about, what it looks like you missed or might have been a mistake, turns out that something better was waiting going the other way and you know to think about that as well that was a, a good thing to reflect on is what were the pivotal moments as i thought about it there may have have been you might be able to count them on one hand you know that there's not that many significant crossroads in a life but when you start looking it over you could probably pick out three to five really significant choices that you made and how that affected the the direction you went in, the mm -hmm. road you took. Yeah, and to take ownership of it, as you said. I think that's the, that's the most important thing is to take ownership of the decision that was made and try not to blame it on extenuating circumstances to say that, yeah, this happened, but I, but I was a participant in it. I was a full participant. Even on some of the bad things, you think like, oh, okay, but I made the choice to go to that place and something bad happened. And so, you know, I don't want to dwell on it. I don't want to become depressed about it, but I want to acknowledge it so that I can put it in perspective and say, yeah, you know, I, 
I am the, I'm the master of my own fate and destiny. And we, we so often see ourselves as victims of life. All these things keep happening to me. And it's, and it's, I, I want you to stop and say, no, not that you, you know, I'm not uh, one of the motivational speakers who will get up and say, you know, you can be anything you want and you can, you know, climb the highest mountain and all those things. Cause a lot of us can't, we, we, we're not going to do that, but we all have a capability to, to uh, find our own happiness. And if you, if you look within yourself, that's the best place to start. I wanted to shift gears here a little bit, Charlie, with all of your experience in journalism, particularly broadcast journalism, but with all the stories that you have covered and all the people you have interviewed, how has, on what axis, shall I ask, did society turn to become who we are as a nation, as a people today? When you look back on it, have you ever just thought, well, if I just pull back here and with some detachment, look at what has been going on, maybe I can have a better idea and then tell others about it. How did we become who we are today? Because when I watch the news, it gets to the point where, as Suzanne can tell you, I can only take so much and then I get up and walk out of the room. Exactly. And and we're most of us are in that space right now. It's like, you know, what next? Well, you know, what, what, what other terrible thing can befall us? And I, I don't know what the answer is, but I have a theory. And the theory is that we started out with the, with the story of uh, Horatio Alger and the fact that, you know, anybody can become a millionaire. Anybody can make it to the top. Anybody can make lots of, uh, lots of money. And we became a material-focused society where you're judged by what you have. Do you have a nice car? Do you live in a nice house? Do you have nice clothes? Um, all of those things. And people, again, we, we have this, instead of having the introspective, if you go back to, uh, you know, John the Baptist or some biblical figure, you're going to find people who had no awareness of how they were perceived from the outside because it didn't matter to them. They were 100% focused on who they were, trying to be authentic um, and be the, you know, save their soul, get to heaven kind of thing. And we lost that and we got into this competitive notion that we need to have, uh, we need to have more and we need to have more money. And if we don't, we're not as good as the people who have more than us. And so what happened is we had at one time a class of people in journalism and people in politics who were really devoted. They gave of their time and talent to be able to serve others to try to help get to the truth in the case of journalists or in the case of uh, politicians to try to represent the best interests of the people that they represented. And what's happened, and look at our Congress, is not to get political, but look at it. When you look at the net worth of every person in Congress today, and you see what their net worth was when they came into office and what their net worth is now or when they get near the end, it's exponential. How did they get so much money on a government salary? They go from having a net worth of a couple hundred thousand dollars to being multimillionaires. And it happens across the board, across party lines and everything else. So what happened is they exchanged that notion of 
of um, service and duty service. for uh, the, the competitiveness of getting more than the guy or gal across from them across the aisle or, you know, sitting next to them in their voting booth. And it's just um, we become very materialistic and not reflective enough of, of our own shortcomings and our own values. And when you do that, and, and in the media, it's the same thing. It's not, did I write the most honest, revealing story? Did I do an interview with someone that brought out and had them say everything they wanted to say? Or was I confrontational and did I get the highest ratings? And, and so the motivations have changed. And because of that, we're not, we don't have the same qualities that, that we did. We don't have the same qualities of public servants. And we don't have the same qualities of those people asking the questions because they're not asking the question to get at the truth. They're get, asking the question to reaffirm something that they already believe. And that's a problem. To reaffirm what somebody already believes. You know, I, I think that is one of the ways in which human beings shortchange themselves because we don't like cognitive dissonance, Charlie. So if I'm listening to a news story and the information doesn't sit well with me, it's important for me to ask myself, why do I not like what I'm hearing? Is it purely because it's bad news or because I feel it's slanted in this way or the other, or do I just not have enough information? past a point, if we lose our, our feel for objectivity, we will go searching. And how many hundreds of channels are available for information in the cable verse today? I will look for that which satisfies me in the moment and does tend to confirm what I already believed. And then I go through life with what's called a confirmation bias. So much for an open mind. Exactly right. And, and, and they and the best remedy for getting beyond that is introspection. The best remedy for getting beyond the searching for affirmation of what it is that I already believe is to go within yourself and say, okay, I, I believe this, but why do I believe it? Can I find a moment in time when I first believed that? Did someone tell me? Did I discover it on my own? Did I see it in a news story or read it in a book? Where did it come from, that belief? And when you start that process and you really start to dig down on those things that, uh, it, you know, I call it a creed. When you write your creed, what I believe, you start with the with phrase, I believe. And I've given this to a lot of young people as an exercise. I believe, fill in the blanks. I don't care what you believe. If you believe that left-handed people are smarter than right-handed people or whatever it is, because we all have those kinds of beliefs. So write the beliefs down and now go through them individually and say, where did that come from? Why do I believe that? Not to, not to, you're going to give it up necessarily, but you might. Because when you really dig down to it, you go, I have no idea where that came from. And I'm not even sure I, I've, I've believed it and I've said it so long, but I don't know where it came from. And I don't know why I feel that way. And I'm not sure I really even do feel that way. I've just gotten in the habit of projecting this uh, opinion on other people that I come in contact with and I tend to associate with other people who believe the same thing. But, you know, ask them, when did you first believe that and why do you believe it and where did it come from? And those kinds of self-reflective exercises, they may reconfirm everything that you believe, 
but they may put some little chinks in the armor here and there and give you the opportunity to open your mind so that when someone says something that isn't within your basic ideologue, that you can, um, you can accept it. You can listen to it at least and try to see where they're coming from. That's the other thing is empathy. You know, how much empathy do we see in the world today? Not much. You know, I, I want to walk a mile in the, in the other guy's shoes. I want to I see where he's coming from. I don't read uh, and consume news sources that reaffirm what I think I already believe. I'm, I'm constantly looking for people who are going to say things differently. And sometimes it's irritating. But I think, why, why are they saying it that way? And why, why do they feel so strongly about something that I don't feel that way about? And I think that's healthy. I think that's healthy, too. And I think it, it would be a good exercise for everybody to write down what they believe and, and take a look at that. I, I had one of those experiences myself that was a pivotal moment when I was believing something negative about myself that was going to prevent me from ever getting together with Gary. And when I said, where did that thought come from? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? I eventually, I said, I'm not going to think that anymore. And then the rest is history. Yeah, and we're grateful that you got past that moment. Holy cow. Yes, right so Gary. <laughs> and I didn't even know it was going on. That was the thing. You hit it well. Yeah. Yeah, we all think things, especially, you know, about ourselves, our beliefs, our life. And we want to get that to paper. The story of your life. Write your own obituary. The subtitle is write your own obituary. You may decide after you go through this book, you're going to write your own biography as well. And it would be a great use of this book by Charlie Serafin, S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N, Charlie Serafin. And once again, online, where can people connect with you? Um, I, I have, uh, I am on X, but I don't really use it a whole lot. Um, if you go to onestupidmistake.com, there's a place there where you can email me and it's charlie at one stupid mistake, believe it or not. I think that's kind of humorous in and of itself. And I do get emails uh, through that from people who have read one or other of the books and they have a question or a comment and they want to share it. And I interact with, with everyone. So if you're not sending it off into the ethos, you know, well, we've done that too. We've sent off emails to people and we never get a response. If you write to me, I will respond to you. And, and I love to share thoughts and love to hear your stories because those stories are, every one of them is special. Charlie, thank you for being with us today. We look Charlie, forward to the next time. Charlie Serafin, fantastic. Good luck with this book and all your projects, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Love you guys. Likewise. Coming up, Robin Alexis. Have a great weekend, everyone.